What up, what up, what up? Welcome back, and here we go. I'm recording this morning on September 11th, and uh, I got something special in store. Um, normally, I'll try to record once a week, but this is the second episode for the week, and uh, with college football season and the NFL officially a go, both seasons underway, I definitely felt I had to get something going here. I got a special guest for you. But before we get to all that, let me get the particulars out of the way. If you want to reach me, you can do so on social media, on Twitter, at Bruce F.A. Hope. That's at Bruce F.A. Hope. On Instagram, at The Format Podcast, at The Format Podcast. Or via email, theformatpodcast at outlook.com. Theformatpodcast at outlook.com. If you listen to the show, you enjoy it. Or if you don't, don't hesitate to reach out. Tell me where I was right. Tell me where I was wrong. You can tell me I'm the biggest idiot in the world talking sports. Just tell me why and we can talk about it. If you have ideas for the show, topics we can discuss, or maybe segment ideas that you want to hear, drop me those lines. Definitely. I don't care what you do. Whether you hate me, you love me, you hate the show, you love the show, that's cool. It just let me know that you gave it a chance to listen. So I appreciate that. If you're a new listener, thanks for taking the time to join us. If you're an old school listener and you've been around from the beginning, or even if this is your second episode, thank you for continuing to come back. I appreciate it. So with all that out of the way, with no further ado, sit back, relax, and listen up to episode 72 of The Format. like me and you love college football, you're happy to see it back and the season started again. Unless, of course, you're a Big Ten or Pac-12 fan. We still have no idea what those two conferences are doing this season. What we do know is that the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 are going along with business as usual. So here today to discuss this college football season with us, with a focus on one of the most polarizing teams in the country, is Notre Dame athletic beat writer, Pete Sampson. Pete, thanks for joining the Format Podcast again. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's get right into it. It's been a while since we've last talked, and obviously a whole lot has changed in the world of big-time college football. First off, um, this is something that really interests me. What are you hearing about the postseason, in particular the college football playoff? Has there been any official word about how that's going to go, especially with the possibility of two of the Power Five conferences either not playing or starting halfway through the season? Yeah, I mean, the the intention right now is that there will be a postseason. It, you know, it won't have the same inclusion of teams, obviously, but the college football playoff is going to happen. Uh, that, you know, it will just essentially be picking from the three Power Five conferences that are playing and then going ahead with that. And, you know, it's like if you imagine a playoff of, say, Notre Dame and Alabama and Oklahoma in Georgia, like the reasonable playoff, you know, Ohio State's the team that gets squeezed out of that. But overall, mm-hmm. I, I, that's that's the intention that they're going to keep going. 
here's here's a question. This is kind of a side note. I just thought about it. We've seen teams like Boise State, or who's not playing this year, but teams like Boise State or UCF, who've had some great seasons in the past and showed that they could play with the big boys, begging for a seat at that table. Any chance that something like that happens? Let's say UCF goes undefeated. Obviously, like we mentioned, Big Ten and Pac-12 likely being squeezed out. Any chance that one of those teams could could find their way into the playoff and really have a shot? I don't think. I think it's probably even less this year that there's a chance for that. And the reason is like because everyone's doing conference only. You know, in the past, you when Boise State was really good and and they had like that national respect. Well, they had beaten Georgia or they had beaten Oklahoma in a bowl game. You know, those those kind of matchups aren't going to happen this year. So it's, I, I think if you're a UCF, um, you know, you lose so much because you don't get to punch up and wait. Their one Power 5 game is Georgia Tech, which is, I believe, dead last in the ACC. So that's that's not a win that's going to move the needle uh, for you if you're UCF. So I, I, I think they have even less of a chance this year than they, than they have had in the past because there's no non-conference play to speak of. Right. Okay, so with all of that said, uh, I did mention the big, the big Ten and the Pac-12 earlier. What have you been hearing that, or have you been hearing anything that might let us know what football might look like for those conferences this season? Are they getting any closer to deciding whether or not they try to play spring ball, whether they try to play halfway through October, or what that might look like? Yeah, there's the intention, I believe there's a, a story in the Chicago Tribune about this on Friday, that there's going to be a vote next week to at least advance the ball a little bit, that the Big Ten's return to play protocols will you know, sort of move and they can move it a little bit farther. But at the same time, it's like this is happening in a time when Wisconsin, the university, just shut down and went um, you know, online only for two weeks. So it's 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 difficult because you know I think that if you're just talking about what's going on at Ohio State or what's going on at Michigan, like yeah, they could play. Um, but the communities that some of these schools are in uh, make that very difficult. But you know, there's there's certainly power power in the Big Ten to push to play at the you know mid October end of October. But um, in terms of that definitely happening, I, I still feel like that's a long way off. Right. So let's uh, let's obviously get to uh, your uh, specific area of expertise and kind of my focus in having you here uh, today. Notre Dame football. So something I logged in the interesting file over the years, I've had many people really getting on me as a Notre Dame fan and hearing even members in the local sports and national sports media constantly hollering at Notre Dame. Just join a conference. Just join a conference. And I know you're obviously well versed in that. It seems to me like independence has worked pretty well in the Irish's favor this season. Meanwhile, you have teams like Ohio State, Michigan, and Nebraska upset because the Big Ten won't let them do their own thing and set up a schedule outside of the conference. Have you heard anything from the Notre Dame side about their thoughts on that? Not on sort of the Big Ten side of things, um, but there's no question that you would, if you're Notre Dame and you're looking at conference affiliation and what's happening in the Big Ten, cannot help but come away thinking like yeah what's so what's the big upside of this again like you, you <laughs> right. really cede so much of your uh power and autonomy to, to do what you want um you know to, to find something that suits you best and you know notre dame is not fully independent anymore right um, you know just it just in a technical sense that they're playing five acc games this mm. year they're they're you know they're a league member full you know full on but you know, I think for Notre Dame, this is going to be one season, one season only. Yep. Um, I think that that will suit the ACC. I think that it will suit Notre Dame. You know, we'll continue 
in and national media think Notre Dame should join all in, but this agreement works for both parties. So the fact that it, you know, sort of offends the sensibilities of people who think Notre Dame should be in a conference just because I don't think the ACC is necessarily going to care at the top, nor do I think Notre Dame is going to care. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, as you mentioned, you know, this, this particular season and the, the situations of the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and, you know, even some of the uh, mid-major conferences just prove, like, if you're the Irish, there's no real true benefit to being a full 100% conference member in football. So, yeah, I, I agree. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Notre Dame on the field this year. First things first, uh, do you have an update for us on number one wide receiver Kevin Austin and when we can expect to see him back on the field? The goal for him, you know, broken foot, fifth metatarsal uh, at the very end of summer conditioning. The goal is Florida State first game in October. Um, I believe it's October 10th is the date of that. If they can get him back in some capacity for that, they'll be happy about that. Um, but September is not happening for him. Um, you know, in some ways, the timing of it, you know, it's not good, but it could be worse. You know, when you start with uh, Duke and then South Florida and then Wake Forest, that's that's a lot different than Clemson and Florida State, Louisville and Pittsburgh um, and North Carolina. So they'll have him back when things get harder. But, yeah, they're, they're going to be without him for the first month of the season. Right. So who's expected to step up and really try to replicate his production? Is that going to be a by committee thing or is there a uh, receiver that they've been presently uh, pleasantly surprised with in camp that might uh, step up and really make some plays and really uh, put up some numbers? I think that it will be mostly by a committee, but I guess the best way to put that would be if the committee had a chairperson, it would probably be Bennett Skoranek, their grad transfer from Northwestern. Mm. He'll he'll start in the in the spot on the field where Kevin Austin would have started. He is not the athletic uh, marvel that Austin is, but very experienced. Um, 141 catches at Northwestern, was voted a team captain his senior year before injury wiped that campaign out. Um, I He's not going to light the world on fire athletically, but he is very reliable, has got very close with Ian Book to the point that Skoranek, in the summer and spring flew out to California just to throw with them and work out. So it's, um, he, he will be the guy, I think he'll probably be Notre Dame's leading receiver for the month of September. Maybe he'll be Notre Dame's leading receiver for the entire season, but um, I think he'll be the guy that they lean on most with Austin out. What are we expecting to see from Braden Lindsay? He showed some tremendous flashes last season, obviously an elite speed guy on the outside. What are we expecting to see from him and his impact on the offense? Yeah, it's uh his camp has been a little bit all over the place. Um, I believe he missed some time early in camp, and then they installed Javon McKinley at the starting position where Lindsley should have or could have been starting. I don't think that that is going to last very long because his speed is unique to that position. So, I, you know, in terms of what to see, I, it may be may take a game or two for him to get all the way back to you know a starter never coming off the field, but. Um, I, I expect him to have a, a good year, you know, sort of build on where he was last year. It's, you know, he's a player that's going to, maybe he's not going to give you a high volume of catches, but he's certainly going to be a high yards per catch guy, an explosive, you know, player when he gets the ball in his hand. So it's with new offense coordinator Tommy Reese, I'll be curious to see if he uses him any, any differently to how Chip Long did last year. That's funny that you mentioned Tommy Reese. You went uh, right into my next question. Um, 
what can we expect to see from Tommy Reese's offense as the new offensive coordinator? Are we seeing more of the same? Obviously, there are going to be some staples, uh, but can we expect um, a lot or a few new wrinkles that might throw opposing defenses for a loop? What should we be looking for? I I think the things to look for, I can answer that more than what to expect, but because we haven't seen any of camp, but what to look for to me is do they go more two tight ends instead of three wide? Um, I think their personnel lends itself to more of a, a two tight end look than it does a three wide look. Does the operation of the offense pre-snap change at all? Um, I think Notre Dame really struggled with false starts and they did not run the ball in power situations very well last year at all. So do they change that up instead of doing sort of that clap count? Um, do they do a silent count? Do they put Ian Book under center a little bit more? Those are sort of like the schematic things that I'm curious to see on Saturday and spots where I think Reese can sort of push the offense um, you know, in, in maybe a different direction than where, than where Long had it. So you mentioned Saturday, Saturday being the uh, season opener against Duke. And so that would uh, lead me to ask, how much can we expect to see from the playbook? Obviously, um, camp has not been the same as in normal years, and we're going into the season first game, new OC. Is it going to be kind of vanilla? Uh, are we? Should we maybe think that we're going to see uh, some new things? How much of the playbook do we think that we'll actually see in the opener? I think a lot, and I, I would say the way I'd answer is if we don't see all of the playbook or we don't see the like. Uh, a big percentage of the playbook it's going to be more by choice than necessity uh, I don't think that with a third year starting quarterback who is a grad student taking online classes basically in the facility all day with a starting offensive line with five starters back there's really no reason for Notre Dame to have a, a pared down offense just because of uh, training camp running differently or you know the pandemic or you know things sort of operating you know a funky way I I expect them to have a lot in. I don't know how much they'll get to, but they will. They should have a lot in on Saturday, um, and that there should be no inhibitor of you know volume of plays because of the nature of training camp. Okay, and you mentioned earlier um, one of the things that we could see just by the nature of the roster and the personnel are more two tight end sets. Who are those two tight ends, and how good can they be with Notre Dame? You know, over the last ten. 10 to 15 years consistently putting solid to very good tight ends out into the NFL. Yeah. I, I feel like the two tight ends we see on Saturday probably won't be the, the, the two tight ends we see in November um, because of five-star freshman, Michael Mayer. Like, is he ready to go against Duke? Maybe in a, a very limited capacity. However, um, I think by November he will have shown himself to be the most talented guy on the roster at that position. So, on Saturday, probably a lot of Brock Wright, probably a lot of Tommy Tremble. In November, I think that Mayer will sort of be on, you know, in the ascendancy, and and maybe, I don't know if he will be the starter, but he will be playing more and more and more. And once once they get to the point where Mayer is fully activated to go with Brock Wright, and Tommy Tremble, then then you got to be a two tight end offense. You just have too much material at that position not to be. And how far along is Michael Mayer in his development so far? Obviously, there hasn't been a game yet, but just through camp. Yeah. And obviously, him being a five-star, uh, tremendously talented, how far along is he in his development? You know, I think when available, he is really flashed big time for the coaches. Um, the question there, and this is, this is just a, such a hard one to answer, is I mean, Notre Dame had 12 players had test positive for COVID-19 
believe they had about 10 players get caught in contact tracing. So that's that's roughly 25% of your roster that missed 10 to 14 days roughly of camp. Um, you know, if you're a freshman and you miss half of your first training camp, you're so far behind that it, it may be very difficult to catch up. So that's, that's I, I kind of want to give the coaching staff a grace period with some of these younger guys who may have missed time because they're going to need it. Um, they're, it's just going to be so much harder to get into the season and get into the flow because of that. So it's, I, if Mayer practiced 100% of the training camp practices, then I would say he should be ready to go on Saturday. If he's missed any time, it just might take a little bit longer. Got it, got it. Um, So along with the too tight end set, that leads me to my next thought. Um, a, a few years ago when Notre Dame was really good, not that they haven't been good, but when they were really good and, you know, you had uh, a guy like Josh Adams legitimately in the Heisman chase, uh, Notre Dame had an outstanding power run game behind, you know, NFL guys, McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson. Now, obviously, they have one of the highest rated uh, returning offensive lines in the country. Can we expect to see a power run game like we saw a few years ago with those guys? And if so, who is going to be, uh, you know, the power run back? Obviously, freshman Chris Tyree is going to probably make splash plays some, you know, throughout the season. And Coach Kelly said he's been surprised at how tough he is early. But we don't expect him to be the number one guy just yet. Can we expect to see a power run game from the Irish? Power run game, I mean, their two lead backs are Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree. They're both short. Um, they're both under 200 pounds. So it doesn't it doesn't seem like they have the personnel. There's no Josh Adams on the, on the running back depth chart this year. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, it's a little bit tricky. Um, you know, if Jafar Armstrong is fully healthy, I know he is a player who has missed a bunch of time in camp. So if he was healthy, I would say that he's somebody they could lean on from a power running attack. But I, I don't know. I mean, you have to run power plays whether you have regardless of who your running back is so i don't you know if there are a bunch of if there are two tight on offense i think they can do some sort of power run principles but are, are they going to send chris tyree and run him 25 times up the middle probably not um so it's i think it to me the the question about the run game that i want answered most is can the offensive line convert in third and short when they were at louisville to open last season they had four third and two or less opportunities where the running back got the ball. And on those four carries, Notre Dame netted minus five yards. They converted zero. They didn't have a, a play that even gained one yard. And to me, that, that says so much more about the offensive line than it does the running backs. And mm-hmm. that's, to me, that's where I want to see the most progress. It's less about can they have a running back grind out these short yardage. It's more about can they have an offensive line who lets the running back grind out that short yardage. And last year, I think they really struggled there. Right, and that's kind of uh, an issue because overall they ran the ball fairly well last season, but in their biggest games, obviously Georgia and Michigan, they were not able to run the football at all. I think averaged less than 50 yards rushing in both of those games. Do you feel that there is potential in this offensive line for Notre Dame to be at a point where they can run the football effectively, obviously, in their biggest game against a Clemson and then against, you know, a very athletic team with NFL defensive caliber linemen like a Florida State? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I think that this, the starting offensive line, if all five of those guys stay healthy, they should be able to have an honest running game against Clemson or opponents like it. Um, you know, we've seen for so long, like, when Notre Dame gets in a big spot, suddenly they're rushing for 92 yards. Um you know, when they when they play people that they can bully, they're rushing for 275. So mm-hmm. 
I'm not saying Notre Dame's going to run for 300 yards on Clemson, mm-hmm. but I don't think Notre Dame will have to play one-handed against those teams the way that they have in the past. Okay, and uh, as we're talking offensive line, who is the best offensive lineman as you see it right now on Notre Dame's uh, roster? I'm hearing I mean, a lot about Leon Eichenberg. Yeah, I mean, Liam Eichenberg, to me, um, their left tackle is the guy. I, I think he's got a chance to play himself into maybe a late first-round pick if everything goes perfectly this fall. Um, I just think that he's he's got all the ability in the world. He looks like he's in phenomenal condition. Um, so he, he's the guy that jumps out most to me. So at left tackle, we just mentioned Liam Eichenberg. Let's compare him to the last outstanding left tackle at Notre Dame, who coincidentally now plays right tackle in the NFL. But Mike McGlinchey, if you had to compare those two, what are your comparisons? Where is one superior to the other, etc.? I mean, McGlinchey would be superior in every capacity. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, he's taller, mm-hmm. he's longer, he's quicker. He was more experienced when he, by the time he left. Um, you know, his leadership was off the charts. So that Eichenberg, I mean, this is sort of the world Eichenberg is living in, right? Like, Brian Kelly has had a left tackle start every game, a first-round pick at left tackle start every game of his Notre Dame career except for two. Um, and that's wow. assuming Eichenberg was drafted in the first round. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you got Zach Martin to Ronnie Stanley to Mike McGlinchey um, and now to Liam Eichenberg. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a tough comparison. At, at roughly every other school in the country, you would say Eichenberg is like, well, this is the best left tackle we've had in the last decade. At Notre Dame, it's he's the worst. Um, wow. But he's still going to be a high-round NFL pick. Um, but that just says so much more about he's following top 10 picks and future Hall of Famers at uh, at Notre Dame and you know at every other school. That's just not the case. Got it. Um, so my thought and the thought of a lot of others who I've uh, talked to follow Notre Dame football, to include fans, to include other uh, Notre Dame uh, podcast hosts. By the way, um, if you're listening and you haven't checked it out, check out the Always Irish Notre Dame football podcast. Always a great listen with my man, John Kennedy. Anyway, um, my thought, and as I said, the others I've talked to, is that the expectation for the Irish this season playing a full ACC slate has to be one regular season loss and no more, presumably against Clemson, and a berth in the conference title game. Anything less would probably be considered a blown season for a number of reasons. Obviously, with an opportunity to make it into the college football playoff. As we mentioned earlier, two of the Power Five conferences aren't playing or aren't playing yet. Um, Also, you have all the people screaming, Notre Dame, join a conference. We don't need to go in there. We Notre Dame doesn't need to go into the ACC on a full slate, lay an egg this year, and give credence to all the people screaming that Notre Dame doesn't want to join a conference because they're afraid and they wouldn't be able to stand up. What are your thoughts about our feelings on what Notre Dame's legitimate expectations should be this year? And again, those being that they should not have any more than one loss on their schedule. Yeah, Unless they play Clemson twice, like- sorry. Yeah, I mean, if they played Clemson twice and they lost twice, I wouldn't necessarily chalk that up to, like, this season was a disaster. But mm-hmm. to me, it's this season, I will go as far as, like, Notre Dame needs to be in Charlotte in the ACC championship game. However they get there, um, as long as it's with one loss, that's okay. Um, and at that point, it seems like it would be such a wasted opportunity if you cannot take out Clemson one time. Mm-hmm. Um Split. I, I sort of view it as like if you can split against Clemson, whether that gets you into the playoff or whether that just puts you in the Orange Bowl or another sort of New Year's Six Bowl, 
I I would just say like beating Clemson is, would be of such value to this program at a place where they haven't had that kind of win in forever. Um, that that would be a successful season to me. To me, it's it's not you know the playoff. That's the goal, right? But to have a win against Clemson at some point, um, to me that that would be a success. Maybe as much as making the playoff. So obviously Clemson is the measuring stick in the ACC and. Uh, among those top teams in the country that you would measure yourself against. So how do you see, obviously it's still early, we have not seen a game yet, but based on what we know so far, how do you see Notre Dame measuring up against Clemson? One of the things I heard you and Matt talk about on the Shamrock podcast is that this Notre Dame defense may be arguably the fastest defense in Notre Dame history. Now, Clemson, their defense normally wins with, you know, just bulk and power up front in the front seven. Where do you see uh, Notre Dame matching up overall with Clemson, whether it's athletically, schematically? I mean, Clemson has some some questions to answer. Um, You know, this isn't just like, you know, a factory line where they just are pumping out first-round pick after first-round pick automatically. Now, they've got an incredible uh, talent, but a lot of it is very young. Uh, You know, they're starting... Their first depth chart has a true freshman starting at um, on the defensive line. Now he was the number one overall player in the country last year, so that's not a huge, maybe not a huge shock. But you know they they're going to have a bunch of turnover on that defense um, in the secondary in particular. So that they're starting, a, they start a former walk on at safety. So you know, it's not like it's just five star everywhere over there. Um, so I, I feel like it's not it is not the Clemson defense that Notre Dame saw in the Cotton Bowl. I mean, you look back at that defense. They had a first-round pick starting at, at each cornerback position. Mm-hmm. They had Isaiah Simmons, who was a top-ten pick at linebacker starting. And then they had, you know, from there it was you had a defensive line that had three first-round picks and then a mid-round pick. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just an incredible amount of talent that, that that group had. Talking about talent, Kyle Hamilton. How good is Kyle Hamilton? I think that he will be a top-10. 15 pick in about a year and a half. Um, you know, three as, as certain I am of him being of Kyle Hamilton being a three-year player as I have been about Nordin, any Nordin player in quite a while. What's he best at? I mean, he's just built on like most college football safeties or most NFL safeties. I mean, said he's got just such incredible range um, to his game that you that's and that's just sort of a God-given thing. I mean, he's a hard worker, art. Um, he's developed a little bit of leadership this year with his voice coming out. You know, now that Notre Dame doesn't have a Lohi Gilman and Jalen Elliott anymore, but um, mm-hmm. I think just the, the DNA, the height, the weight, the speed, you know, the physical stuff is just off the charts. Um, you know, if you can start with that and then marry it to a good personality and you know, good work ethic, then you have something really special. Is there an NFL player at the safety position you'd uh, make for a good comp for Kyle Hamilton? You know, it's like in terms of who plays with him back there, I don't see one. Um, you know, Sean Crawford is a very good college football player, but his body is really, I, you know, in the NFL, if you come in with two torn ACLs and a ruptured Achilles, that's, you're, you're sort of done before you get started. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of Sean Crawford's medical history, which is unfortunate, but still a very good college football player. Um, you know, the, the other star of Notre Dame's defense to me is Jeremiah Wusukomar at linebacker. I think he's maybe not a first-round pick a year from now, but, you know, at least be a day-two pick at worst. So they've got they got some pretty athletic dudes back there. Um, it'll be, I'm very curious to see how Clark Lee uses them. Now that they're both known, known commodities, you know, a year ago at this time, neither had played. 
Um, they were optimistic about both, but didn't necessarily know what they had. Um, they hoped that they had something great. Now that they know that they have something great, how do they try to dispatch that maybe a little bit differently? Okay, offensively, how good can Ian Book be? We saw two years ago um, what we thought was him really entering that upper echelon, maybe elite level uh, college quarterback discussion. Um, not necessarily uh, blessed with the greatest arm talent, but overall he's shown he can be very good. How good can he be? I think maybe if, almost if you could somehow marry his junior and senior years together, I think that's how good he can be. Um, you know, I think last year his, his accuracy dropped so much. Um, you know, some of that was his receivers didn't make enough plays for him. But, um, you know, get the accuracy back up while still being aggressive. Um, you know, he pushed the ball downfield quite a bit last year. Um, you know, he had he had good numbers as far as explosive plays, but was just not nearly as good on the shorter and mid-range stuff. So, you know, figuring out how to get back to some of the, the things that really worked as a junior. And then... The, to me, the big jump is uh, reading recognition to understand where defenses are trying to manipulate him all the time and how. And that's, that's I think, the relationship with Tommy Reese has to really drive that because, you know, you, you think back of Reese's senior year, I believe Notre Dame led the country in sacks allowed with just eight. And it wasn't because Reese was very mobile. If you watched him play, mm -hmm. um, it was because he knew where pressure was coming from all the time and was able to get out of it. So, Book, can, Book, I think, can get a, a bunch better in that area, too. And if he can understand that and then hit defenses because they're bringing pressure opposed to having a thin out of stuff, to me, that could be uh, that could be an area where he could improve. Okay. Uh, finally, what's your overall perspective on the Notre Dame outlook for the season? Do you see a legitimate chance for them to win the ACC? Yeah, I do. I, I do think they have a legitimate chance. It's you know, it's a little bit of a, a long shot, but it's a, I guess we could describe it as a legitimate long shot. Like, I think that they can get Clemson in South Bend. And if they do, they almost certainly will be playing in Charlotte. And if you're getting a rematch against a team you already beat, I mean, logic would dictate that that means you have a chance to win that game, too. Um, you know, the idea of Notre Dame sweeping Clemson is a little bit bizarre when you say it out loud, considering Notre Dame has not won that kind of game in quite a while. But, um, you know, Clemson is. I don't think this is like the world-beating Clemson that is, has existed the last few years. Um, it's still incredibly good, and they should be number one in the country. But you know, the, the Clemson—it's not the Clemson team that Notre Dame ran into two years ago, and they just got demolished. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see. I, to me, it's just like if you can get Clemson one time, and you can play in the ACC championship game. I think from Notre Dame's perspective, that would be a good season. And that's what happens against Clemson in Charlotte. You take your chance. There it is. There it is. And um, Pete, thanks so much for joining us again. I know you're going to be pretty busy uh, throughout the rest of the season uh, covering everything that's going on with the Irish and with college football. And hopefully the season makes it all the way through and we don't have a huge stoppage somewhere along the way. Um, thanks again for taking the time to, to join and to talk to me and to talk to my listeners. I really appreciate it. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me.